Turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. So we have worked our way through this chapter. And as we've done so, if, you, if you've been with us, we've seen the, the put-offs. That is the, the sin that, that we are to put off, to put to death in our life. And we have seen the, the put-ons, the, the righteous behavior centered on love that we are to, to clothe ourselves with as, as Christians. And then we have seen the, sort of the put-ins, the heart attitudes that we are to have as a, as a Christian, what's, what's internal in our hearts. And Paul kind of gave a, a summary application of all that that I argued for last week in verse 17. And whatever you do in word or do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so we do everything that we do in the name of the Lord, giving glory to God, giving thanks to God um, because of it. And from that launching pad, Paul is now going to address some particular ways that this plays out in our lives. In this case, some particular relationships um, that we are to, to honor the Lord in. So would you stand with me in, a, in honor of reading God's Word? We will pick up where we left off last week in verse 18 of Colossians chapter 3. God's Word says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray. God, as we look at these few verses that deal with our, our family, may we be encouraged this morning to, to live out the role that, that you have designed us for. God, may we see in our own lives ways that we can honor you better in our, our relationships. And we know that we only learn through the power of your Spirit. So God, would, would you be with us in your Spirit? Help us understand. Help us know what it means to apply this text to us. We know that every word of the Bible, all of your words are, are true and beneficial for us. So help us this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. When 76-year-old Bill Baker of London married Edna Harvey, he created mayhem in his family. The woman he married happened to be his granddaughter's husband's mother. So they were not blood-related. They could legally get married. But when they married, it, it sort of created all kinds of confusion in the rest of the family. His, Baker's granddaughter, Lynn, described the, the mayhem that would follow. She said this. She said, My mother-in-law is now my step-grandmother. My grandfather is now my stepfather-in-law. My mom is now my sister-in-law. And my brother is my nephew. But even crazier is that now that I'm, I'm married to my uncle and my own children are my cousins. The reason this is mayhem is because the, the nature of relationships we have with different family members differs based upon how we are related to them. I treat my grandmother very differently than I do my nieces and nephews. My relationship to my wife is very different than that that I have with my parents or my children or my friends. And relationships each come with their different role and different purposes. 
And some of these purposes, some of these roles are, are God-ordained in the Bible. In other cases, we receive wise counsel in Scripture of how we approach certain relationships. You know, this text is fundamentally about relationships. We are to do everything in the name of the Lord. Everything we do is to be to the glory of God. So it said Paul in verse 17. And, and Paul highlights that relationships are part of that. We have to live in such a way that, that our relationships with, with others give glory to God. And we do that, or what, what we do in relationships, we do in the name of the Lord, Paul says. In particular view of verses 18 through, 20, through 21 are the relationships that we have within our immediate family. And so I would summarize sort of my main point for this morning, or main point of this text, of these few verses, um, really just the title of my sermon as well, but to honor God in your familial relationships. To honor God in your familial relationships. The relationships that you have within your family. Live those out in such a way that brings glory and honor to God. Um, Paul addresses three relationships and describes how we bring glory to God through those relationships. Those relationships being husband and wife, parent and child, and then slave and master. The bulk of the instruction here is actually towards that of slave and master. Um, so we will look at the first two of those categories, husband, wife, child, and parent, this week. And we will cover next week uh, that relationship between master and slave and, and see how, how some ways that that might even apply uh, to us. He chooses those three relationships because I think it's very easy, particularly in that culture, in the culture that, that this is being written to in Colossae, it's very easy within them to dishonor God. And there's a sense that that's true today as well. Roughly 50% of marriages end in divorce. Marriage is struggle, even for Christians. Marriage is hard work, and so with, with sinful natures, it's easy to dishonor the Lord within our marriages. Picture-perfect social media accounts hide the reality that parents struggle in their relationships with their children. But as Christians, we are called to honor Christ with our relationships. But how do we do it? When the odds seem completely stacked against us, how do we honor the Lord in these relationships? I think Paul's words here are, are helpful to us. So let's look at those sort of first two categories of relationships that deal with the family and, and see the instructions that we are given in God's Word concerning them so that, that we can do everything in the name of the Lord. We can bring honor to the Lord in them. So the first category that we see there are, are husbands and wives. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about marriage and the role within marriage. And this particular text just gives us sort of two sentences that are sort of summary sentences about part of the role of what it means to be a husband and what it means to be a wife. So I want to make clear that this is in no way a full biblical picture of what it means to be a husband or what it means to be a wife. But these are ways that you can honor the Lord in fulfilling the roles of husband and, and wife in the way that He designed them to be. So picking up back in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Let's kind of take these one at a time. Let's start. Husbands or wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. I know a few statements in the Bible that cause 
so much as much anger to women in, a, in American culture today than wives submit to your husbands. In fact, the entire idea of submission in general is scandalous and outrageous in American culture today. But as Christians, submission can't be scandalous. And think of all the ways that we are called to submit. We submit to each other as Christians. We submit to our spouses. We submit to the government, Romans 13. We submit to church leaders, according to Hebrews. We submit to Christ. All of those are biblical categories of submission. It is, is a regular part of the Christian life. And it's a necessary part of the Christian life. And so then we need to understand, in particular as it relates to this text, what does it mean for wives to submit to their husbands? Why should wives submit to their husbands? But given the society that we live in, that has such a subversion to this idea of submitting, I think the best way to go about understanding what it means to submit to a husband is to first have a discussion about what it doesn't mean to submit to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. The Bible addresses this topic um, several, multiple places throughout the New Testament, and so we kind of have the advantage of, of pulling from a few other texts to help us kind of answer some, some questions about this. And so I want to start with this discussion. What does it not mean, biblically, for a wife to submit to a husband? So it does not mean that wives or women are inferior or of less value than men. So from the, the creation, through, through the Bible, women are esteemed. Women are created in the image of God for unique purposes set by God to bring glory to Himself. It really, the Bible crushes the idea that women are somehow inferior to men. Consider what Paul says to the Galatian church. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Peter describes women as the heirs of the grace of life. In a culture when, when women were very much looked down upon, when women were not allowed to even be educated in many cases, the Bible encourages women to learn. The Bible lifts women up who took courageous and virtuous stands, women like Esther and Ruth. And think about it like this. If the act of submission makes one inferior then Jesus would be inferior to the Father. Because what did Jesus do? He submitted to the will of the Father. When He took on flesh and when He died on the cross, He was submitting to the will of the Father. That doesn't mean that Jesus was inferior. God is one in three persons. They are co-equal. Jesus is not inferior to the person of the Father. Submission to your husband also does not mean that you must agree with him on everything he says and does. Nor does it mean that you shouldn't seek right change in your husband. But we do see instruction uh, in Peter that change is brought about in the context of submission. So consider 1 Peter chapter 3. It says this, it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to... That's the exact same word translated in our verse. Um, submit. So lives, this be... Subject to your own husbands, so that even if 
Some do not obey the word. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so what's happening there in First Peter is, is that you have a woman, a wife who is obeying the Lord and a husband who is not and what seems to have happened is, is that the wife has responded to the gospel and was saved, while the husband did not respond to the gospel and therefore was not a Christian. He's living in disobedience to God. And the instruction for the wife is still to submit while seeking the genuine change in his life. They disagree on the, on the most important thing in her life now. When she became saved, they, they fundamentally disagree on the most important thing. And that makes her task then very difficult. There's a reason why Paul says, don't become unequally yoked. But this woman is an example um, of, of one who then submits to her husband while disagreeing with him, while seeking his change. So submission cannot mean that you do not disagree or that you cannot seek the change of your husband. Submission to your husband does not mean following in him into sin. And I've already talked about this. We have other sources that we are, other things that we submit to. And of course, our, our highest submission is always to Christ, to God. You submit to God first. So if your husband is trying to lead you towards sin, it is good and it is wise to resist him while submitting to Christ in his word as your final authority. And finally, I want to be just abundantly clear on this, particularly in, in the world that we live in today. Submission to your husband does not mean that you must suffer his abuse. Christ was always on the side of the abused, of the cast aside, of the lowly, the weak. According to Romans chapter 13, God has ordained the government to uphold just laws and to su suppress and restrain wickedness. Well, we have laws in our country that are just and right concerning spousal abuse. If your husband is abusing you or ever does abuse you, this text is not telling you to endure the abuse. My advice to you, and I think it's biblical advice, would be to call the police. Allow the government to perform its God-given duty of seeing justice done with your husband who is breaking the law. And so just a, a personal word then on that. If you need help in that, I will help you. We have people in our church who will help you. You are not alone this, and this, and we will help you no matter what it is, whether it's a, you need a place to stay or food. I promise you that the members of this church will help you. You are not stuck. God has provided you a means of escape um, abuse. Submission to your husband does not mean submitting to abuse. Submission is not any of those things. But what is then submission within the context of a, of a husband-wife relationship. I'd like to quote John Piper here because I, I think his explanation is one of the better ones I've heard. This is sort of his answer to what is submission in the context of a wife submitting to her husband. This is, this is what Piper says. He says, It is the disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. It's an attitude that says, I delight 
for you to take initiative in our family. I am glad when you take responsibility for things and lead with love. I don't flourish when you are passive and I have to make sure the family works. But the attitude of Christian submission also says, it grieves me when you venture into sinful acts and want to take me with you. You know I can't do that. I have no desire to resist you. On the contrary, I flourish most when I can respond creatively and joyfully to your lead. But I can't follow you into sin as much as I love to honor your leadership in our marriage. Christ is my king. I think that's a good description of of biblical submission. It's a disposition in your heart that desires to follow your husband's lead. Not to never disagree with him, but to desire to follow him as he follows Christ. And why should she do that? Why should the wife do this? Well, this verse tells us, it says, it's fitting to the Lord. God has designed marriage in a way that both men and women flourish. He has designed us with unique roles to fulfill. And when we fulfill them, we honor the Lord in our marriage Flourishes. We each flourish as individuals. And this is why it's so important for the husband to fulfill his God-ordained role as well. And look at the charge that Paul gives to the husband. He says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, I think likely the reason that Paul doesn't go in greater detail into this particular point is because he has already covered in this, in this chapter, as we've seen, what it means to love someone. Remember what he said in, in, in verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. He, he's given this explanation of, of the attributes of, of what it looks like to love, and he charges the husbands to love your wife. He says, don't be harsh with them. And this too has already been discussed at length in this chapter. Paul describes of what it looks like to be harsh with someone. He said there in verse 8, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And so that's, that's the marks of a, of a husband who is not harsh with his wife. The call of a husband is to to deeply, deeply love his wife. Ephesians 5, which is sort of a a parallel passage to this, it describes the the same thing. It tells us that this love mirrors the love that Christ has for the church. Jesus gave up his life for his bride, the church. And that's the kind of love that husbands are to have. The kind that, that gives up your life. New story came out last summer about a man named Fred Pepperman. His wife, Julie, and his daughters were all on vacation at the beach when he noticed them drifting out to sea. An undercurrent had caught them, and they were struggling to stay above the waves. So he, he rushed into the water to go help his family. Struggling, he was, he was able to get his family to a place where they were able to get to the rest of the way to the store, dragging them with, with all of his might and all of his, his energy against the strong current. However, all the effort to, to save his family would, would leave him utterly exhausted. And so he was taken by the current out to sea and he would end up drowning. His wife wrote this on her social media account after this event had happened and the news story kind of broke. She said... 
Thank you to everyone for your thoughts and prayers. Around 12.30 on July 14th, 2019, Fred Pepperman gave his life to save his family. If it wasn't for his efforts, Grace and Olivia definitely would have been lost, and Catherine and myself probably would have been lost. He was amazing, selfless, tireless, and committed to making sure we were all out of the water. He did everything a dad is supposed to do. She was right. He did exactly what he was supposed to do as a husband and as a father. The call of a husband is to sacrifice everything for the sake of your wife. Your priority becomes her well-being, even if that means sacrificing your own well-being. It is a sacrificial love. It means running into the burning building, shedding your, shielding your family to get them out. It means you pick up the extra job in the weekends and work the long hours to make sure that food is on the table for your family. It means that you bear the weight of the stresses that come upon your family. It means that you put your need above hers every time. Every time you sacrifice yourself for the sake of the needs of your wife. You are a protector and a provider. You stand first against the hardships that come. Your life, your love for your wife is the way that Christ loves the church. Sacrificing everything for her to make sure that she thrives. The role of a husband is not to harshly domineer. It's to willingly lay down your life. And that's what Jesus did for his bride. He died on the cross, willingly dying, so that we could be saved from our sins. That's the picture of a husband and a wife. And husbands, let me tell you, if you're married to a Christian woman, if you lead that way, your wife will have no problem submitting to you. She will do it with joy and you will flourish too with a wife who cares for you and loves you. See, this amazing thing happens when those who are in a marriage are fulfilling their roles. The husband is sacrificing for the wife, making sure that that her needs are met. The wife is submitting to the loving leadership of her husband, making sure that his needs are met. They're both looking at each other, at, at, at each other's interests instead of their own and it causes a flourishing of that marriage and of those individuals. A marriage that honors the Lord. Marriage is work. It's full of complications, full of compromises. Trying to apply these scriptural principles is is not an easy endeavor. But a marriage that honors the Lord also causes us to grow. It sanctifies us. It teaches us. That's a, a worthy endeavor. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. But when you do this, you honor the Lord in your relationship. There's another relationship within the immediate family Paul addresses. That is that of, of children and parent. And he addresses both sides of this, both children and parents. We to honor the Lord in the way... That, that we are children to our parents and we are to honor the, the Lord in the way that we parent our children. And so how do we honor the Lord in, in this relationship? Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. 
Um, this is a general term for children. It's not limited by age. But what seems to be in view is this in this passage and, and the parallel passage in Ephesians 6 is that, that sort of any child living under the care of their, their parents who are still under the parental guidance for our culture today, that, that might be something like the age of, of 18, up until age 18, but there's not a particular number in view here. It, it, it just seems to be the, those who are under the care of, of parents. And certainly this is, this is not something new for the church. It's found in the, the Ten Commandments. Children are to honor their parents. The term translated obey here in our text in Colossians is different than the word submit. When a wife submits, she does so voluntarily, not under sort of a dictatorial forcing. But the word obey here is, is much more forceful than the word submit. It's, it's this command. Children, teenagers, you are, are commanded to be obedient to your parents. And that means something important. That means that when a child disobeys their parents, they're not just being disobedient to their parent, but they are being disobedient to God. And so, as parents then, part of your role as a parent is to help your children be obedient to God. And so that means when they disobey you, you are to discipline them to help them be obedient to you, and thus be obedient to God. Hebrews 12 says that, that God disciplines those that he loves. And likewise, if you love your children, then you will discipline them when they disobey you. You care enough about their souls, their relationship with God, that you are willing to discipline them when they disobey you because they are disobeying God. Children, hear me when I say this. When you obey your parents, you will be blessed by it. It will bring flourishing in your life. You neglect this command, and it will bring you sorrow and frustration. If not now, then surely later. The only limit to your obedience to your parent is that if they require you to disobey God's word. And so you too have a, a greater submission than even your parents. You submit to God, but the instruction is clear. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Live to please the Lord. Please the Lord by obeying your parents. And that means not pretending to obey while secretly deceiving them behind their back. And that means obeying joyfully, not begrudgingly, not with an attitude. We don't serve the Lord with an attitude. Well, obeying your parents is serving the Lord. And so we are to do it with a right heart. Honor the Lord with, the, with your relationship to your parents. Listen to them, obey them, honor them. And this instruction likewise goes both ways, just like husbands and wives. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now Paul directs this towards fathers, I think because fathers are, are often more inclined to anger. God created women to, to, to be typically more nurturing in nature. And so it's often the father who, who will provoke children to anger. But uh, clearly this would apply to both parents. Neither parent uh, is to provoke their children towards anger. A more simple way to say this would be to, to stop nagging your kids. Okay, You are to seek their best interests, to love them, provide for them, care for them. You can provoke them or nag them, 
in many different ways. You can be overprotective, not allowing them to earn your trust. If you don't give your children opportunity to gain responsibility and to earn your trust, you provoke them to anger. There are many ways you might provoke your child. Harsh criticism, failure to be patient when they are learning a new task. That's a struggle for me right now with with my Abby, who's young. She's learning lots of new things. It's easy to be, be very frustrated with her, but she's two and she's learning. Setting unrealistic goals, neglecting them. And we can go on and on in the lists of ways that we might provoke our children to anger. Discipline is an important part of parenting, but so is encouragement and guidance and patience. Parents have the power to discourage their children, so do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You have the power to to squelch their spirit, to cause them harm. Don't look only to say no to your children, but be intentional, parents. Be intentional to look for ways to say yes to your children. Sometimes you share part of the blame in their disobedience when you provoke them to anger. You know, ultimately, and this is true for all of our relationships, not just husband and wife, parent and child. It comes down to, to looking to Jesus as our example. Friends, if, if you are a Christian, then you are adopted into the family of God. And so Christ is our example of how to treat our family. To, to look at the, the members of your family, to look at the relationships of those in your family, and to love them as Christ has loved you. That's how you will honor the Lord with your familial relationships. Maybe you know nothing of this love. You don't know the love of Jesus. Jesus loved so deeply and so profoundly that he suffered the wrath of God on the cross on behalf of sinners. It's an amazing love. It calls for for repentance of sins and faith to, to, to trust in him that you too can become a part of the family of God. Friends, God loves deeply and unexplainably those that are his enemies. He loves. So consider your family, friends, right now. Those, those who are closest to you, consider how to love them in the way that Christ has loved you. Consider how to bless them, forgive them, be compassionate towards them, be kind to them. Honor the Lord in your familial relationships. And I think the best way to do that is reflect the love that God has displayed towards you in Christ. Let's pray. God, help us look at our relationships and to see what it means to reflect your love, the love that is so profoundly seen in your Son, Jesus. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's where the, the love of God is displayed. So, Father, I pray that you, you fill that, fill our hearts with that love as husbands and wives, as children, as friends, as brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, nieces, nephews. God, help us look at our relationships and demonstrate a love in such a way that we 
that we bring glory to you. And we honor you in, in the way that we treat each other. And God, we know that, that all those things can only be done by your power. So we recognize that we are utterly dependent upon you for your help, for your guidance, for your conviction in our hearts. God, help us know your love in your son, Jesus, and live your love. Amen.